Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You can download Spacetime as a free twice-weekly podcast just about everywhere, including iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. The show's also broadcast coast-to-coast across the United States on Science360 Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C. Coming up on Spacetime, rumours of a habitable zone planet around our nearest neighbouring star system, using a simulated black hole to demonstrate Hawking radiation, and more evidence supporting the discovery of a possible fifth force in nature. All that and more coming up on Spacetime. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. There are growing rumours claiming the detection of a terrestrial Earth-like planet within the habitable zone of our nearest neighbouring star system, Proxima Centauri. A report in Germany's respected Der Spiegel news magazine claims the discovery was made by astronomers with the European Southern Observatory's La Silla telescope in Chile. Proxima Centauri is part of the Alpha Centauri triple star system, which, located some 4.37 light years away, is our nearest neighbouring star system. The Alpha Centauri star system is easily identified in southern hemisphere skies as the second of the two pointer stars showing the way to the Southern Cross constellation. The Alpha Centauri system consists of two sun-like stars, Alpha Centauri A and Alpha Centauri B, which orbit each other around a common centre of gravity, and which in turn are thought to be circled by the system's third star, Proxima Centauri. Like the Sun, Alpha Centauri A is a spectral type G star, only slightly more luminous and about 10% more massive than the Sun, with a radius about 23% larger. Its binary partner, Alpha Centauri b, is a spectral type K orange dwarf star, slightly less luminous than the Sun and also slightly smaller, with about 90% of the Sun's mass and about 14% smaller in radius. The third star in the system, Alpha Centauri c, also known as Proxima Centauri, is a spectral type M red dwarf star, which at the moment is slightly closer to our solar system than its two companions and is currently located about 4.25 light years from Earth. About three-quarters of all stars in the Milky Way are thought to be red dwarfs. The rumoured planet around Proxima Centauri, Proxima b, is being described as a terrestrial or rocky Earth-like planet in the Goldilocks zone of Proxima Centauri, an orbit where it's not too hot and not too cold, but just right for liquid water to exist on a planet's surface, given the right atmospheric pressure. So far, more than 20 habitable zone Earth-like planets have been detected. However, until now, all are hundreds to thousands of light years away. If the Proxima Centauri claim is true, Proxima b would be the first alien planet with the potential for life that would be within our reach using present-day technology. However, before we get too excited, it's worth pointing out that red dwarfs by their very nature are unstable stars, which frequently generate relatively powerful stellar superflares capable of frying the surface of any habitable zone planet. Also, because red dwarfs are relatively cool stars with surface temperatures of around 2,000 degrees Celsius, compared to our sun's surface temperature of almost 6,000 degrees, any planet within the habitable zone of such a star would need to be fairly close, probably close enough to be tidally locked so that the same side of the planet always faces the star, resulting in permanent daytime and huge amounts of radiation exposure for that side. 
Meanwhile, the other side of the planet would be in perpetual darkness and the extremely cold temperatures that would entail. Of course, this is all pure speculation, as there's been no official announcement yet from the European Southern Observatory and no peer-reviewed paper. In fact, back in 2012, astronomers with the Lasilia High Accuracy Radial Velocity Planet Searcher Instrument, or HARPS, announced the detection of a terrestrial Earth-sized planet around another star in the same system, Alpha Centauri b. They reported the planet, which would have been called Alpha Centauri BB, orbits its host star once every 3.2 days, far too close and consequently far too hot to support life. However, a follow-up study last year determined that the detected signal from Alpha Centauri BB was most likely simply an artefact in the data, meaning the planet almost certainly doesn't exist. Der Spiegel claims the European Southern Observatory will be making a formal announcement about this latest potential discovery by the end of the month. So far, astronomers have confirmed the existence of more than 3,200 exoplanets, that is, planets orbiting stars other than the Sun. About two-thirds of them were detected by NASA's planet-hunting Kepler Space Telescope. In fact, astronomers now believe that most, if not all, star systems probably include orbiting planets. The editor of Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, Jonathan Nally, says the possibility of the Alpha Centauri system having planets isn't surprising. Yeah, this is really interesting. As you say, uh, press rumours, uh, nothing confirmed as yet. Maybe nothing will be confirmed, who knows. But yeah, Proxima Centauri, which is the nearest star to Earth, other than the Sun, of course, and it's not that very far away. It's about 4.22 light years, something like that. Something like that. Spectral type M red dwarf star. So not very big, only about 2,000 degrees surface temperature compared to the Sun's 6,000 degrees. It orbits Alpha Centauri A and B, the two suns like stars in the system and uh, yeah according to this report in Der Spiegel magazine it's uh, possible that uh, astronomers with the European Southern Observatory at La, La Silla in Chile may well have detected a planet in the Goldilocks zone. Yeah well this will be very very interesting because this puts it within range basically uh, all the other uh, planets or exoplanets that have been found that, that are in the Goldilocks zones of their stars are quite far away and this would put it within range of this uh, fantastic uh, potential uh, program that we spoke about a couple months ago I think on the program where the idea is you get these little tiny weeny nano satellites and use a laser beam to accelerate them to enormous speeds, you know, significant fractions of the speed of light, so you can get to a close planet. Yep, Stephen Hawking star. and billionaire Yuri Milner, he's actually an engineer, he's, he's, he's a scientist you know, everyone calls him a Russian billionaire, but he's a scientist as well. So this puts it within range of this project to make little tiny nano satellites or nano spacecraft about the size of a mobile phone and with a, like a, a sail on them about a metre square and shoot them off into space using a massive laser beam burst to really accelerate them very, very quickly. And this would put Proxima Centauri easily within range of these little spacecraft and uh, be able to get there very, very quickly indeed. So that would be fabulous if we could get a uh, planet in the habitable zone of the nearest star system to Earth and be able to get there and have a look at it. I mean, this is, this was just science fiction when I was growing up. It was I mean, the Jupiter 2 going to Alpha Centauri, wasn't it? Danger, Will Robinson, danger! Yeah, I mean, the closest star system in the Jupiter 2 got lost. I mean, <laughs> not very good navigation, was it? That was because that Dr Smith threw all the weight calculations off, didn't he? Oh, the pain, the pain. The babbling booby. Yeah, so look, it'll be fantastic if they confirm this. Uh, I, I would really like to see a confirmation of a um, planet, even one not in the habitable zone, around one of the two stars at Alpha Centauri proper. As you said, they've got three stars in the Alpha 
Centauri sister total. Proxima Centauri is this little tiny star way off on the side, but the other two stars are very similar to our sun, and it'd be fabulous to find planets circling those. Yeah, but one's you, just a little bit bigger than the sun, the other a little bit smaller, an orange dwarf star, our sun being a yellow dwarf. Yeah, th- there was that, I think it was in 2012 that European Southern Observatory again announced the uh, possible detection of a planet orbiting Alpha Centauri B, so the planet would have been Alpha Centauri BB. Later, the analysis indicated it could have been some artefact in the data that was what they actually saw. Yeah, look, when they find these sorts of things, particularly one that's close as that, if one team comes out and says, look, we've got this really strong evidence that uh, this planet's there, then it it should be a pretty easy job for other teams to uh, turn their telescopes onto it as well and confirm or deny. So with Alpha Centauri system being so close and the signal you would expect to get, what what they call a signal, you know, the evidence and the data of a planet there should be pretty easy easy to spot, I would have thought. In fact, I remember speaking to uh, Australian scientists about this oh, years and years and years ago, and, and he essentially said, look, if, if there were one there, if there were planets of a certain size there, we would have spotted them by now, even with the techniques they had back then. So it seems unlikely to me that there would not be planets there, given what we now know of the prevalence of planets around all sorts of different kinds of stars, even multiple star systems out there in the, in the galaxy. So it would seem unlikely that the, the Alpha Centauri system would not have any planets at all. So I think they're probably there to be found. So there are a couple of different techniques they use to detect planets around other stars. One of them is called the transit method. It's basically looking for a mini eclipse as a planet circles around the star. If you're looking in the plane of that planet's orbit, if you just happen to be lucky enough to have it lined up, then you'll see a dimming of the star light as the planet moves in front. That's the technique used by the uh, the Kepler spacecraft, and it's found lots and lots of exoplanets, of course. So that's a great way to find out. But if the planet is not in that plane in your line of sight, if it's going, at, say, at right angles to that, well, your technique's no good, so you need something else. And and the other way they do it also is what's called the radial velocity method. The wobble is, method. The wobble method, yeah, which is where, you, again, you don't see the planet because it's too far away, too small. But what you do see is its parent star moving around a bit on the spot, if you like, as the gravity of the planet pulls it this way and that. Well, that's how they found the very first planet, 51 Pegasi. They found lots of them that way. It's a really good way of doing it. I'd be very, very surprised if there weren't planets going around uh, Alpha Centauri, either of the stars, really. And if this Proxima Centauri one turns out to be true, that'd be tremendous. When they were looking for Alpha Centauri, BB, when that was all happening, the astronomers at the Australian Astronomical Observatory were really surprised because Alpha Centauri B is so bright, they were surprised that you could actually spot a planet within all that brightness. So that was the thing that got them really excited. They wanted to know what the algorithms were that the other team were using that allowed them to block out the light from the parent star and still detect the planet orbiting around it. It's ironic in a way, isn't it, um, that the nearest star system, it's hard to, hard to find things, and ones that are further away, it might be a bit easier. That's Jonathan Nally, editor of the Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. A scientist using a simulated black hole may just have demonstrated the existence of Hawking radiation, the hypothesis claiming black holes evaporate over time. The new research, reported in the journal Nature Physics, could open a window linking Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity and quantum mechanics, finally pointing the way to quantum gravity. Back in 1974, physicist Stephen Hawking proposed that the entangled pairs of virtual particles popping in and out of existence could form on the event horizons of black holes. 
Quantum mechanics rules out the existence of a true vacuum or nothingness. In fact, even the emptiest space teems with fluctuations in energy, causing pairs of photons to continuously appear and then immediately destroy each other and disappear again. Hawking wondered what would happen if these virtual photons popped into existence right on the very edge of an event horizon. If these virtual photons became separated by the event horizon before they could annihilate each other, then they would become real particles. The particle falling into the black hole would always have a negative energy, which over eons would deplete the black hole. Time now for a bit of background. The event horizon of a black hole is a sort of point of no return. Any material outside the event horizon can still theoretically escape the black hole's gravitational well. However, once matter falls inside the event horizon, it can no longer escape, because that escape velocity would exceed the speed of light. And as nothing can travel faster than the speed of light, any material that ventures beyond the event horizon would wind up falling forever into the black hole's singularity, a place where space and time no longer obey the laws of physics as we understand them. Hawking radiation predicts that the entangled pairs of virtual particles popping in and out of existence on the event horizon of a black hole could be separated, with one particle falling into the black hole and disappearing forever, while the other particle would escape, taking a small amount of energy from the black hole with it. Eventually, over trillions of years, the energy loss from all these virtual particles popping in and out of existence on the event horizon would cause even the biggest supermassive black hole to slowly lose mass over time, eventually evaporating out of existence. Now, if, as some physicists predict, all the stars and pretty well everything else in the universe are eventually consumed by black holes, moving the cosmos out of the Stelliferous Epoch and into a black hole epoch, then the black holes themselves will eventually wind up disappearing as they evaporate into a sea of virtual particle radiation, an ultimate fate for the universe dependent only on the ultimate strength of dark energy. Now experimental physicist Jeff Steinhauer from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa may have finally observed Hawking radiation in action in a simulated black hole created in the lab and based not on light but sound. Known as an acoustic black hole, the simulations created by using lasers to cool a cloud of rubidium atoms down to just a few billionths of a degree above absolute zero, minus 273 degrees Celsius, in the process creating a state of matter known as a Bose-Einstein condensate. At this supercooled temperature, the cloud of rubidium atoms enter a quantum state of matter and begin collectively acting like one single superatom, the Bose-Einstein condensate. This technique allowed Steinhauer to successfully simulate how entangled virtual particles would behave if they formed right on the event horizon of a black hole. The simulations, there are over 4,600 of them, showed how pairs of sound energy packets called phonons begin to spontaneously appear at the event horizon. The data showed that high-energy phonons escaping the simulated black hole were entangled with high-energy phonons falling into the black hole. Lower-energy phonons did not display this entanglement. The experiment confirmed Hawking's prediction of black hole thermodynamics, displaying the thermal distribution of Hawking radiation stimulated by quantum vacuum fluctuations coming from the simulated black hole. Quantum vacuum fluctuations are a temporary change in the amount of energy at a given point in space, as explained through Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which allows for the creation of particle-antiparticle pairs of virtual particles. Just as interesting, the particles exiting the event horizon in Steinhauer's experiment generated enough energy to support another hypothesis known as the black hole firewall, which suggests that the breaking of entanglement between virtual particles would produce enough energy to create a physical wall of flames, a firewall, right on the black hole's event horizon. 
While this research is most impressive, the results nevertheless are not clear-cut, and other physicists question whether laboratory analogues can really be used to reveal the mysterious secrets of real black holes. Earlier this year on Space Time, we reported the possible detection of a previously unknown fifth fundamental force in nature. Now, physicists at the University of California, Irvine, have found more evidence in support of the possible discovery. The key is a potentially new subatomic particle called a protophobic X boson, which is about 30 times the mass of an electron. The new findings, reported in the journal Physical Review Letters, builds on earlier research by experimental nuclear physicists at the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. The Hungarian research team were looking for hypothetical particles called dark photons. If they exist, dark photons could act as telltale signatures for dark matter, a mysterious invisible substance which makes up 85% of all the matter in the universe, but which can only be detected through its gravitational influence on normal matter. Instead of dark photons, they found a radioactive decay anomaly pointing to the existence of a new previously unknown particle. The team had been firing protons into lithium-7 targets, producing beryllium-8 nuclei, which would radioactively decay, emitting pairs of electrons and their antimatter counterpart, positrons. However, when the protons hit the lithium at an angle of 140 degrees, instead of the expected constant drop-off in electron-positron-emitted pairs, the Hungarians were surprised to see a slight bump in the data from what appears to be the creation of an unknown particle with a mass of about 17 mega-electron volts. An electron volt is a unit of energy, defined as being the amount of energy an electron gains after being accelerated by one volt of electricity. Astronomers use it to measure the energy of photons in the electromagnetic spectrum. And thanks to Albert Einstein's famous equation, E equals mc squared, or energy equals mass times the speed of light squared, physicists use it to measure the mass of subatomic particles, and also as a unit of temperature. However, there wasn't enough data in the Hungarian findings to determine if the new particle was a fermion, that is, a particle of matter, or a boson, which is a force-carrying particle. So, scientists from the University of California, Irvine, examined the Hungarian data as well as several other studies which were also pointing towards the same potential new particle. The Irvine team concluded that the new particle is neither a dark photon nor a fermion, and instead is far more likely to be a new, previously unknown fifth fundamental force in nature. If confirmed by further research, this discovery would completely revolutionise science's understanding of the universe. You see, while normal photons act on electrons and protons, this newly found protophobic X boson would interact only with electrons and neutrons. At present, the standard model of particle physics describes four fundamental forces in nature. The oldest is gravity. It holds the universe, galaxies, stars and planets together, and it's mediated by the yet-to-be-discovered graviton. The problem with gravity is there's a huge debate on as to whether it's a real force or simply, as Einstein predicted, the effect of mass on the fabric of space-time. Other than gravity, the force we're most familiar with is the electromagnetic force, which is mediated by energy particles or waves called photons. It's the electromagnetic force which gives us light, heat, electricity and magnetism, and it holds atoms together. Then there's the strong nuclear force. It's the strongest of all the fundamental forces. It's mediated by bosons known as gluons, which bind quarks together and hold protons and neutrons together in the nucleus of atoms. 
Then there's the weak nuclear force. It's responsible for the radioactive decay of particles and atomic nuclei, and it's mediated by the exchange of so-called intermediate vector W and Z bosons. The problem for physicists is that while the standard models work really well mathematically, they simply can't explain dark matter, even though dark matter makes up some 85% of all the matter contained in the universe. And that's a real problem. So scientists have been looking for this fifth force in nature which could explain this mysterious material. And so this could be the first hard evidence for a separate dark sector with its own matter and forces. This potential new fifth force could also be linked to the electromagnetic strong and weak nuclear forces as a sort of manifestation of some far grander, more fundamental force. Mind you, it all still leaves the gravitational force out in the cold. But what the heck, you can't have everything. The SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket has successfully launched a new telecommunications satellite into orbit from the Cape Canaveral Air Force Base in Florida. The white, 70-metre-tall Falcon 9 lit up the partly cloudy night skies as it blasted off from Space Launch Complex 40. Falcon 9 is configured for flight. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lift off of the Falcon 9. parking orbit insertion. Two minutes and 33 seconds after launch, the Falcon 9 achieved Miko or main engine cutoff, followed three seconds later by stage separation and upper stage ignition. While the upper stage and payload continued to geostationary transfer orbit, the Falcon 9 main stage returned to Earth in a controlled vertical landing on a floating platform named Of Course I Still Love You, which was positioned downrange in the Atlantic Ocean about 640 kilometres east of Cape Canaveral. The platform landing represented the fourth successful landing at sea of a Falcon 9 booster. The return to Earth manoeuvre usually involves the core stage turning around and performing what's known as a boost backburn after being jettisoned from the stack and then performing a re-entry burn to slow down as it re-enters thicker atmosphere. Grid fins are then deployed steering the rocket to the floating landing pad. Just prior to touchdown, the rocket's landing legs are deployed and the central Merlin main engines reignited for a manoeuvre called a hover slam, which matches the thrust power coming from the rocket engine to the altitude and then progressively drops the thrust to achieve zero thrust at touchdown. Meanwhile, back up in orbit, the 4,600-kilogram payload, JCSAT-16, will provide telecommunications services across Asia, Russia, Oceania, the Middle East and North America. It'll operate as a backup to JSAT's existing Superbird B-2 satellite, which was launched back in the year 2000 aboard an Ariane 4 rocket. The Space System's Laurel-built spacecraft is based on an SSL-1300 platform equipped with two solar arrays, as well as banks of both KU and KA-band transponders and enough manoeuvring fuel for a 15-year lifespan. This launch was the eighth flight of the year for SpaceX, which is eight more missions planned before the end of the year, including another Dragon cargo run to the International Space Station. It was also the 28th launch of a Falcon 9 rocket since the design's maiden flight back in 2010. Meanwhile, SpaceX's next flight is slated for September the 2nd also from Cape Canaveral when the company will launch another Falcon 9 carrying the Amos 6 telecommunications satellite into geostationary orbit.
And that's the show for now. You can subscribe and download Spacetime as a free twice-weekly podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, Audioboom, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. For more, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Just search for Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This show is also broadcast coast-to-coast across the United States on Science360 Radio by the National Science Foundation in Washington, D.C. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. Subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts or Audioboom. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine. This month, exploring the mystery of fast radio bursts. 